Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. I was reading uh, just a report that uh, actually came out uh, a few years ago. It was published in the Daily Telegraph um, and it was just a little article on the uh, census that um, had uh, uh, occurred and uh, earlier. And it was talking about the increasing trend away from religion and in particularly uh, mainline Christianity um, that had been revealed in the uh, Australian uh, census that had occurred a little bit earlier. And uh, this um, survey showed that although 60% of Australians had uh, listed a, or a religious affiliation, the proportion of people reporting no religion had increased to 30% in 2016. Now, this was nearly double the 16% in 2001. So uh, between uh, 2001 and 2016, the number of people um, in reporting in the census that reported no religion had increased from 16% to 30%. And this was, like, uh, to me, I think this is so, you know, discouraging because we have so much evidence now for the existence of, of God, but this isn't getting out to the, uh, you know, to the people. Um, it's interesting, of the 60% of Australians that said that they had a religious affiliation, um, nearly 52% gave Christianity as their their faith or, or religion. So that means that only about 8% uh, gave a, a non-Christian faith as their religion in Australia. And so that was uh, published in uh, the Daily Telegraph back in June 2017 in Australia here. So the, uh, there was a similar report actually came out on uh, a Scientific American blog um, the, uh, the previous month, May 2017. And the um, a survey that was conducted over in America of American college uh, entrants and they've been conducting that survey since 1966. And the number of college students with no religious affiliation has tripled from 10% in 1986 to 31% in 2016. Now, the United States tends to perhaps be a, a more uh, religious, openly religious country perhaps uh, than Australia. So, again, over that... Um, 30-year period between 1986 and 2016, the number of students reported uh, reporting no religious uh, affiliation had gone from just a mere 10% to 31%. So these are the, the students that are just starting uni um, and so they've, they've left home now. And so I, I think this reflects again the change in the in the value of the the homes, 
And it reflects, I think, the decades that we've had of, of anti-God agenda throughout society. Um, and it's been uh, particularly, um, you know, propagated on most of the uh, secular media and, of course, in our education system. In fact, uh, just last week I was watching a, a program on um, television um, about uh, astronomy and uh, observing some of the uh, very interesting uh, effects that scientists observe, such as uh, uh, some collisions and so forth in the um, of um, stars and and so forth in the, way out in in space, and as the uh, astronomer. Um, who works uh, for one of the Australian um, research observatories was explaining to sort of drew on the on the dirt who was uh, giving an illustration of the solar system and saying how there was a, a swirling dust clouds and the dust condensed into the different planets as we moved out now of course this is totally different to what the bible says but the thing is that that model of you know, dust clouds condensing and forming the plants just doesn't work. It doesn't fit the scientific data that we know today. So here we have this being, this whole idea being propagated on, you know, a, a, a modern television show. So this is getting through to the people, but it's wrong. The, that model can't work. The we know from, a, for example, that the uh, the plane of the planets is um, on a tilt compared to the sun. Some of the planets rotate the opposite way, and there's all sorts of factors when we look at the uh, temperature of the planets and their cores and all this sort of thing. It doesn't fit the ages, the strength of the some of the, the magnetic fields that they have, and so forth. There's so much evidence now, and this is really, really disappointing that it's continually, you know, being taught to the students. Now, one of the areas, of course, that is um, taught in schools as evidence for evolution, and, you know, maybe not so much now, but it has been for a long time, is this idea of vestal organs or organs that um, were remnants of organs in the past that are evidence for um, ev evolution. And so these, uh, and the uh, appendix is a, a classic example of uh, these organs that are what we call vesicle organs, which are supposedly organs that are just left over from some evolutionary process in the in the past now at the moment of course there's a lot of interest in the digestive systems of uh, of humans and we study of course what we call the, the microbiome in in humans uh, which is the study of the 
you know, the bacteria that live in humans. And often, you know, if you're watching a program or listening to a program, you might hear people say, well, there's, you know, there's more bacteria live in the gut usually than there are cells in the human body and these sort of interesting statistics. But, of course, living inside us in our organ is not only bacteria, but we've got viruses. And, of course, many people are acutely aware of viruses with the COVID-19 um, uh, pandemic that swept across the world. Um, and we need to, you know, remember that that viruses um, uh, are there um, in part lead to part of the control of bacteria. The populations of bacteria in digestive systems, and they they play different roles in in regulating things. And quite obviously, um, viruses can pick up uh, genetic information. Um, and mutate from um, under certain conditions. And also, you know, the viruses that are essential to operate in one particular species or type of environment can turn out to be harmful or out of balance in another. And I think, you know, this is a, was a classic situation in the COVID-19 um, situation. But as we learn more about the health benefits and, and of the uh, bacteria and the interactions that occur there, um, there's, you know, growing research and study in this area. One of the, another article that um, I read uh, oh, not, not so long ago too was looking at, um, you know, the claimed evolution of uh, digestive systems. And of course, one of the oldest digestive systems that they claim are studied are those of trilobites. Now, trilobites, uh, these um, multi-segmented uh, little creatures, a bit like a, a pill bug in a way, they've, they've got a little head, they've got a, um, a long segmented uh, body with many legs and they have large eyes, uh, but they have quite a, a well-developed um, digestive system as well and there's uh, some 20,000 species of trilobites and yet these creatures is, were are found in rocks that are dated at half a billion years old, 500 million years old. So they're right at the bottom where they just start to find fossils and yet as they've studied their digestive systems, they have uh, found that they're way from primitive they're actually quite um, uh, detailed. They quite feature quite advanced um, digestive uh, system structures uh, from the fossils that um, have been uh, found. And, and again, that was interesting. That was um, uh, some work that was published back in September 2017 that seems to uh, feature the 2017 data is featuring a bit in in this talk today. And uh, there was another article too about that actually uh, in the October 2017 Scientific uh, American on scientificamerican.com. It was an article, Trilobites Had Guts. <laughs> so we, again, this is powerful evidence against um, evolution because how did, where was the time for this a digestive system and quite complex digestive system for trilobites to have evolved because you know our digestive system is extremely important for us to be able to get the nutrients that we require 
to digest our food. And if we don't get those nutrients, then we don't live, we die. And the appendix is a, is a very interesting part of our digestive system. Now, the digestive system, and of course, many of us just think of it as a bit of a tube that goes through us. And of course, we've got the, the stomach and that, but it's the complexity of the digestive system, in my view, is one of the most power. Well, it's one of many very powerful evidences for creation, for design, uh, not something that could have evolved randomly. So it, it, our digestive system starts in our mouth where our food is chewed and it's mixed with enzyme-rich saliva. Now, again, and I've spoken on this in the past, there's all different types of saliva. Our body produces different types of saliva for different situations and conditions. And that, again, is amazing. I would think not only do we have to have the glands to produce the saliva, but we also have to have the chemical reactions and the com chemical components and the enzymes to actually synthesise those chemicals to make those components of the saliva. Now, that saliva plays a role of producing um, the chemicals that break down the starches in our foods. And of course, we eat a lot of starchy foods like, you know, breads and uh, potatoes, those sort of uh, uh, vegetables and, and grains. And so that pre-digests the food ready for when it comes down and hits the acids of the stomach. Uh, in the stomach, there are uh, the acids there that um, dilute hydrochloric, for example, that again help break down uh, parts of the food, particularly the uh, proteins um, that are found in the you know, high protein foods, um, the meats and um, nuts, and um, and of course, you know, even the plant foods like. Uh, lettuce and spinach, uh, these and even potatoes have uh, have protein in them. And so the acids in our stomach play a role there in uh, breaking down the, the food for digestion. But as it uh, passes then um, from the stomach and there are little valves called sphincters that regulate the release of the um, contents of the stomach um, into the next stage, um, perhaps generally termed the small intestine, and this is where a lot more digestion takes place and absorption of the nutrients. Now, from there, from the small intestine, the we have the waste products then begin to move into the large intestine, where essentially water is removed before exiting the body. Now, where the large and small intestine meat, there's a, a little pouch-like uh, uh, region, which is known as the, the cecum, uh, from, uh, from Latin, cecus meaning blind. And in humans, this is relatively small, but in herbivores, uh, for example, rabbits, it's uh, that, you know, eat uh, the grass and greens, it's much larger. And it contains bacteria which are especially suited for digesting and breaking down plant material. 
Now, in humans and uh, some of the other mammals, there's a, a little um, worm-like uh, appendage that hangs down off the uh, uh, cecum, protrudes from the cecum. And this is known as the appendix or the uh, veriform appendix or the cecal appendix. Now, it's interesting that Charles Darwin argued that this was a, a vestigial organ. It uh, was a useless remnant of something that our distant ancestors had uh, needed way back in evolutionary history when our ancestors were supposed to have mainly ate, you know, leaves and um, high-fibre uh, plant-type uh, foods like the apes do uh, today. And as our diet, uh, the evolutionary model, of course, says that as, you know, humans evolved, the diet changed and the digestive system supposedly evolved, no claim causing the previous much larger cecum to shrink and leaving this useless little remnant in the form of uh, an appendix. So this is essentially what was uh, you know, taught and believed for um, a lot of uh, uh, time. Um, it's interesting that um, Darwin wrote about this in his book, The Descent of Man and Selection in Relation to Sex, Volume 1, um, the, the edition and book of pages 27 and 2006 in the uh, 1871 edition published by John Murray. So this was, um, you know, taken on and there were, you know, other organs um, that uh, were claimed to be, you know, just left leftovers of um, of these sort of areas. The and again, this was taught as evidence for evolution. However, there's um, increasing doubt now, even by evolutionists, whether there are actually any genuine uh, vestigial organs and. Um, there was an article uh, published in uh, Evolutionary Theory some years ago, back in 1981, um, by uh, Scadding, uh, S.R. and uh, the article was titled, Do Vestigal Organs Provide Evidence for Evolution? So, yeah, for the past, you know, 40 or so years, nearly 40 years, this has certainly been seriously questioned now as we understand more about these organs that they actually play a vital role. And um, of course, there's another argument as well, that if um, an organ was somehow some redundant remnant of uh, some past evolutionary change, um, this would demonstrate that the organs and functions can be lost, that evolutionists need to know that they can be gained you know, so they need evidence of new organs forming, not evidence for air organs being being lost. So um, anyway, the interesting aspect of our appendix is that um, as we learn more and more about the body and how it functions, and particularly in our gut, so these bacteria play 
an important role generating, for example, um, B vitamins and vitamin K and other nutrients that our body uh, needs as essential nutrients. These good bacteria tend to bind to the mucus layer that lines our digestive system and and protect us from the uh, baddie uh, bacteria. And so they you know compete with baddie bacteria that shouldn't be there and don't give them a site to get hold so that hopefully those bacteria then just pass out. And again, uh, in that... Uh, Inside the uh, cecum, of course, we have, um, or in there, we have an area where the bacteria, the good bacteria, can colonise. So that if we do get a case of diarrhoea and we do lose a lot of bacteria, we have actually a little reserve of good bacteria to recolonise our gut with the bacteria that we um, require. Uh, because in diarrhoea, diarrhoea can clear this uh, protective barrier or biofilm from the gut lining. And it's thought that the bacteria required to recreate this protective layer are provided by the appendix, which is there off the cecum. I think that we now, that scientists are now, you know, heavily realising that um, the appendix, rather than being some useless vestige, is uh, a very is overwhelming evidence now. It's an integral part of the immune system, and that's. Um, but it's it's interesting that it's only relatively you know recently, um, in you know the past um, five years or so that publications have been coming out confirming this. Um, uh, for example, the um, in the um, journal Clinical Experimental Immunology, um, back in October 2016, there was a, a review um, of the immunological function of the appendix. A major review of the literature was uh, was published. But when you think about it, that was only in 2016. And what about all the um, students who were educated in the decades earlier as they went through university and, you know, taught that this was an example of evolution, whereas in actual fact it's powerful evidence, again, for a uh, creator. I think this is uh, one of the things that we uh, face uh, today, of course, that there has been... So much error taught in the past that supposedly refutes uh, the Bible and the existence of God that is in fact wrong. But these people now are the educators of today. They're educating the next generation. And so it's, it's very important, I think, that this um, the, the knowledge uh, gets out there that so many of the claims of evolutionists are, are wrong. And I, th I think this is where... Organisation like organisations like Creation Ministries International uh, and their website www.creation.com. These um, organisations provide really good um, data and reference material 
and indeed um, journals that people can uh, subscribe to as well as their websites and get a lot of the up-to-date evidence that we now have that refutes um, evolution. Of course, some people say, well, what, what about at times, you know, people get infections, um, get appendicitis and they have to have their appendix removed. Well, well, that is true. Sometimes appendix can become blocked, for example, by a hard mass of faecal matter. Uh, and this in turn then can cause it to become um, infected. So, as I said, it's commonly called appendicitis. And uh, of course, this infection then can spread throughout the body and it can be deadly. And the solution is that um, uh, the appendix then has to be removed because it's a, it's in, infected and can infect the rest of the body internally there. But essentially, if we have a lot of fibre in our diet, um, the high fibre foods, a lot of uh, whole plant foods, green leafy vegetables and whole grain cereals in our diet, then we uh, have very, very low risk of, of getting appendicitis uh, usually and so again the plant-based diet that god gave originally in uh, eden is um, obviously the best diet to protect us against you know such things as uh, um, appendicitis also the plant-based diet essentially provides the the best foods for the healthy bacteria um, to to live in us um, uh, Dr. Herman Alderkreutz, um, over 30 years ago, uh, he works uh, out of the University of Helsinki here in uh, Finland, and uh, he was one of the pioneers in the area of research into the microbiome, and he showed that, again, the people that have very high plant-based diet have different bacteria in their gut to those people that eat a lot of flesh foods. Um, and meats and so forth. And one of the interesting things was that the the people, the bacteria that was associated with the plant-based diet was associated with bacteria that um, uh, down-regulated cancer-promoting genes. In other words, they seemed to protect against cancer, whereas the bacteria associated with the high-flesh food diet seemed to um, promote bacteria that uh, could upregulate cancer-type genes. So here again, we, we have this overwhelming evidence from the Bible that the Bible is a trusted guide for our life and the way we can come to know our Creator God that created our amazing and wonderful bodies. Remember, if you want to re-listen to uh, this uh, program and other programs, to Google, 3ABN Australia, all one word, that is, as one word, uh, .org.au. You've been listening to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Have a great day. been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.